All right, take your Bible now and turn, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 26. We'll resume our services in uh, our preaching series in the book of Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew 20, 26. I know there's a ladies' Bible study uh, starting tonight, I think, um, about 70 or more ladies joining together. I don't know if they're starting a new church or what's going on, but um, anyways, no, I'm just kidding. Miss Anita is uh, teaching that ladies' Bible study. It's going to be a good time, I'm sure. And then ladies' lift tomorrow night. So a lot going on. Just check the bulletin. There's a lot going on. Miss Sandy Hastings is going to speak tomorrow night uh, at lift. It's ladies in fellowship together. Okay, let's start in the first of the chapter. Would you join me there? Our text is verse 17 and following, but we're going to um, it'll help to get a little bit of the context here. Last time we talked about um, the setting a price on Jesus is really what the first three scenes of this chapter 26 describes, how the chief priests uh, were willing to pay for someone to betray him. Judas was willing to sell. Uh, Mary, whose life was greatly touched by the Lord, came and knelt at his feet and anointed his feet and his head with oil, anointed him, he said, for his burial. A very expensive bottle of ointment, an, an alabaster box. That's what it was. The alabaster was the container. The box was probably about a year's wages. And she was willing to pay that because she valued who he was. And so that's what we covered last week. Look at verse number one. It says, And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days it is the feast, the festival, the feast of the Passover. The feast of the Passover. And the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. And I say to you this morning, that did not take our Lord by surprise. He knew. I'm going to skip down now to verse 17. Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These are distinct and yet often because of their close proximity to one another, uh, they are used interchangeably, Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city and to such a man, and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful. And began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. 
It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He saith, he said unto him, thou hast said. I believe this was a private conversation between Jesus and Judas. The other disciples had no idea. So then what happens in verse 26 is Jesus takes the elements of the Passover and gives them heightened significance. He takes the elements of the Passover and gives them, we maybe would say, new meaning. But really we can even say from the Old Testament perspective and now the New Testament, the intended meaning. Okay? All right, so watch this, please. Verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye, drink ye all of it. In other words, every one of you are to drink of it. He explains verse 28, for this is my blood of the New Testament. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many, watch this, for the remission of sins. Amen. You say, I don't know that word remission. We don't use it a whole lot, but it means this, pardon, release, free, forgiveness. There's the word, forgiveness. No longer guilty. That's when grace becomes amazing. <laughs> For the remission of sins. And then he says in verse 29, but I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you. Now, read that in the context of the fact he's about to be crucified. He's going to die. But now he says, I'm not going to drink this again with you until I drink it with you again new in my father's kingdom, which is a literal kingdom, according to Jesus. All right, verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Thank you, dear God, for the reading of your word. Just want to pause and say thank you for really what this passage means to us. It's so easy to take this somewhat for granted because of familiar, familiarity. Would you help us to listen afresh and anew? Lord, uh, there's a lot of things here I think that need to be explained and I need your help. There's some here that maybe wouldn't understand even what the Passover is and what's going on. So I want to be careful not to assume understanding 
for any and just start out with many of the basics. And so help us there, I pray. Show us how to manage time and how to uh, explain. And Lord, our prayer would be that someone today would experience that remission of sin. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. How many songs in our hymn book have to do with the cross? The blood. I'm glad we still have a hymn book that has songs about the blood in it. There's some that say it's too vulgar, it's too, um, too gruesome. But the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, without the pouring out of blood, there's no remission of sin. So we can't have a, blood, a bloodless gospel. Never was intended by God to be that way. Maybe one of the most well-known songs about the cross would be the old rugged cross written in 1913. And uh, the, the songwriter was an evangelist, George Bernard, and he was troubled. He'd, he'd been troubled in, um, in many ways and just reflecting on the cross, but he, he was troubled also because, as if I understand the story right, he's preaching across Ohio and into Michigan, and, and some uh, young people were ridiculing him. Um, in the service, now generally our services are pretty quiet, and, except for amens, which a preacher welcomes. It's a blessing, but rarely, I don't remember having ever been heckled. <laughs> and, uh, but he was being uh, harassed by these young people, these uh, teenagers. Now, I have preached teen church, and that's a little different than this environment right here. I'll guarantee you that. But, so that might have been what he was experiencing. But, but anyways, he just got alone with God. He began to read John 3.16. Listen, as sim simple and as well known as John 3.16, let's not get over the great truth of the Bible saying, for God so loved the world, that means you, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And he said, I just focused on the cross and I, and I began to realize that he died for me. And, and he said, really just like a scene of the cross, not in a weird way or some kind of a vision or anything, but I think you understand maybe what the gentleman was saying is I just, I got a fresh vision of the cross again. And folks, listen today, I believe we need to have a fresh vision of the cross again, a, a fresh glimpse by that. I mean, a fresh understanding of what it means that Jesus died in our place as sinners. And so he wrote on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. And then he sang the chorus. This, this has been sung by so many, but, but uh, so I'll cherish the old rugged cross. To my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. He said this in verse two, I'm not gonna, uh, well, I'm not gonna sing. You'll probably be relieved by that, but uh, I'm not gonna read all the verses either. Oh, that old rugged cross, listen to this, so despised by the world. 
I just thought about him hearing those young people ridiculing him, but so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction to me for the dear, listen to this, for the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. We're in a wonderful passage of scripture as we come to Matthew 26 and we're beginning to see the scenes of the cross. I'd, uh, I'd like to do it justice. I'd like to try to make clear how significant that event was. Everything else that we've looked at in the gospel of Matthew, gospel meaning good news, is leading up to this. I, I've reflected back to Matthew 1. The angel appeared in the Virgin Mary and said that you're going to have a child without a man's involvement. He's going to be born of, of you, the Virgin Mary. And his name shall be called Jesus and he shall save his people from their sins. That's why we're reading this. I kind of flipped through and I saw where he came to the baptism and, and, and he was baptized of John. And, and Matthew doesn't record these words, but John did. And the gospel writer John, he recorded of John the Baptist who saw Jesus coming that day to be baptized in the river Jordan. And he said to all those that were gathered there, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. <laughs> you see, all this is put together by that loving God, who from the foundation of the world, before the time ever began, before he ever created you and me, he knew that we would sin against him and yet he loved us. Amen. The Bible says that God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew we would rebel against God. He knew that we would break his commandments. He knew that, he knew that we would live in a, in a rebellion against him and yet he loves you and he loves me and he loves everybody that's here and he loves people that aren't here today. And on that old rugged cross, Jesus died for sins he did not commit because he committed no sin. And from the time that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and how that an animal, an innocent animal, animal, sorry, had to be shed, his blood had to be shed because they tried the, they tried the fig leaf line of attire. And it was not sufficient. Their works were not sufficient to cover their nakedness. And, a, and an innocent animal had to die. Blood, listen, from the very beginning, do you see? From the very beginning, blood had to be shed that our sins might be atoned, that our sins might be paid for, that we might be redeemed. And, and so blood was shed there, even there in the garden. And then you fast forward to the, to the time of, of Moses and, and how he gave the law and God used him and how the sacrifices would be given and the tabernacle would be built where God would meet with his people and where the, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant would be on the inside and, and inside of the Ark of the Covenant would be those commandments that you broke, that I broke. 
But on top of that ark, it would be like a chest, maybe a little bit smaller, but about the, the size of this pulpit. And, and in, that, in that area where they would open up that lid, that lid was a sacred lid, and it was, it was, a, it was all covered with, with gold. It was a golden lid there, and, and it's the place of the mercy seat. The place of atonement and, and every year, listen to this, the, the high priest alone was, was, was qualified to enter in and he would bring the blood of that lamb that was slain. And for the broken sins, do you, do you follow what I'm saying? The sins that are broken there. And you had the angelic beings that were over that ark, that ark uh, also with gold. And, and they were symbolic. It was a place of, of God's presence. And it was symbolizing how that God in heaven is looking down on sinful man. And he sees the, he sees the broken commandments that you and I have broken. What can reconcile us to such a holy and a righteous God? And every year that high priest would come in and he would take that blood and he would sprinkle the blood on that mercy seat so that when God in heaven looked down upon his people and their broken commandments below, he was seeing the blood and not the broken commandments. That's grace. That's mercy. But that the blood of bulls and the blood of goats was not sufficient to pay for man's redemption price. And so another lamb had to come. <laughs> you see, this goes all the way back. I saw all the, the Bible fits together so well. This goes all the way back to the time of the, of the Passover, which we're studying here today, and, and how that uh, God told Moses to tell the children of Israel if they're going to be delivered from, from the bondage of Egypt. Do you remember that? I'm mindful today that there are people here that may not know all, all those things in the Bible. And, and if you have questions even after this message, I'm going to do my best with God's help to try to explain all the particulars that are here. But, but if you've got questions, to just find somebody around here and ask them, hey, I didn't really get that part. Could you help me right there? They'll help you. And if they don't know, they'll find somebody else that don't know, that, that does know. Well, it actually might be that way. And you just keep asking questions. And there's times people ask me questions. I don't have a clue. And I say, I don't know. But I know God knows. But uh, way back then, that what God said to Moses is to take that lamb and, and I'm going to deliver you. Listen, I'm going to bring you out of bondage. Now, you and I have never been in slavery. It's hard for us to fathom what that really is like. It's hard for us even to understand just how great it is that we sit here today in freedom without fear of somebody busting in these doors to, to say, hey, you can't worship here openly like this. We've got freedom. But somebody paid a price for freedom. Our forefathers came here to this land because they were looking for freedom and not under, from, out from under the tyranny and, and, and they wanted to be able to worship God freely. And so freedom... Every 4th of July, we celebrate the, the price really that's been paid for our freedom. As we recline, maybe even in a park somewhere, we, we spread out a blanket on the ground and we get to eat or we get to enjoy time with family and see fireworks. What we're doing there is we're saying we're living in freedom right here. But may we never forget that freedom's ever free. It's been a result of the blood on the bayonets. Soldiers and the blood of men spilled at Gettysburg and the blood of men spilled and poured out for us to have freedom. 
And God said, I'm going to deliver my people Israel and I'm going to bring them out of bondage. That foreign uh, power, Egypt, was the superpower of the day. And, and they were oppressing the Jews and using them to build uh, Egypt and that area. And, and, but they were under oppression and they cried out to God that God might deliver them. And God sent Moses. And he told Moses, tell the people, this is after uh, Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, had, had been so obstinate to God to say, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And plagues were poured out on Egypt, you remember that? Flies and locusts and lice and darkness and uh, the death of animals and, and all these things were just poured out. The river turned to blood. The, their life source, the river Nile. And, and so all these plagues were poured out. But still Pharaoh, uh, he would act as though that, and he would maybe even have a slight change of mind. Listen, if you get, if you get these frogs up out of here, then I'll let them go tomorrow. <laughs> Wasn't really thinking real clearly right there. I think I always said, today, Moses, Frogs have got to be out of here today. But he said, no, tomorrow. And, and so anyways, the plagues were poured out where well, there's one more plague that would come that, that would break the obstinate spirit of, of Pharaoh and it would be the death of the firstborn. You see, Pharaoh himself believed that he was God over the land and, and thus his son would be the next God when he died. If he died and didn't rise again, he wasn't really God. If you're God and you're going to die, you should rise again. Pharaoh died. That was it. And his son died. That night, that fateful night known as the, the Passover, the 14th of Abib is, is one uh, term for the Jewish month, or Nisan, uh, not the car, but the month. And, and so anyways, you have, you have that month, the 14th, but on the 14th of the, of the month there, about our, our month April or March or April, depending on the, the new moon, it's all set on the, on the, on the lunar calendar in the, the new moon. But anyways... Uh, and so that what would happen is this, as Moses said, take the lamb and kill the lamb. And every house that has the blood over the doorpost, then I will pass over that house. Listen, the blood identified them as the people of God. Without the blood, you're not identified as his people. And so when the Passover happened, house upon house began to cry out in the middle of the night at midnight and lifted up their voice because their son or their daughter, the firstborn, was die had died. And even to the house of Pharaoh, there came screams and there was, there was a cry heard because his own son had died because he wasn't under the blood. And the Jews were to remember that. They were to commemorate that every year. Listen, every single year they are to remember what God did to set them free. And they do. It's one of the longest standing traditions in human history is the Jews observing what's known as the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Oh yeah, by the way, they weren't to eat leavened bread that day. Other days they would. Come on now, now we like leaven in our bread. You'll go to the restaurant today and they'll have rolls on that table and they will not, they will not be unleavened. If they are unleavened, you'll send them back, I guarantee it. But this would be like a, this would be like a 
pita bread or I don't know, I'm trying to think what we would be familiar with, maybe a tortilla that, that, that is just flat and has no yeast in it. It doesn't, it doesn't have time to rise. And, and the reason they did that on that fateful night at the Passover is because they didn't have time for the bread to rise. They had to get out of there in a hurry. It's also a picture of sin and how, that, how sin has got to be removed. And, and so even to this day, the father of a Jewish home will instruct his children to search the whole house for 11. It's got to be out. And they'll sit down at that Passover meal. And I just watched a couple videos on it. You can check it out later. But it's interesting what the Jews do to this very day. And the children ask, why is this night different than any other night? That's what they'll ask. And the father will take the cup and there are four cups that they will observe and, and they will take that cup and observe that cup and they, they have wine or we use grape juice here because that's what Jesus used. Amen. Amen. Just thought I'd throw that in there right quick. And so anyways, the fruit of the vine that had been pressed and, and so uh, they have that, that cup, four cups that are used. It all, it all, I, there's, there's a lot of parts here to this that I want to try to explain, but this goes back to Exodus chapter six, verses six and seven. And at the observance of each of the cups, then they would read a portion of that scripture that corresponds with what that cup is about. And so they would observe that cup and then he would, they would break that unleavened bread. There are three pieces the Jews use now. Three pieces, you may have heard the word matzah, that's the, that's the bread. And there are three pieces that they put under a cloth. They have three pieces to commemorate the first two temples that have been destroyed, but the third one that's still to be built. Three pieces of matzah today. And so they, they break that bread, it snaps and it be the consistency maybe of a cracker or something like that. And then they share that bread. They're doing that still to this day. Four cups, the breaking of bread, the sharing of the bread to look back and remember, this is how we got our freedom as Jews and we better never forget. They commemorate that. They have bitter herbs that they eat. Lettuce or horseradish. I think probably horseradish would, that'll do it. <laughs> to remember how bitter life was as they were in bondage. They have salt water that they dip some of those herbs in. in, a, in, a, in, in, in there's two different things. They would dip that parsley maybe in, into the salt water to remember the tears that they cried when they were in bondage. They also remember the Red Sea as God parted the Red Sea. And, and then there's another, uh, basically like a paste that is a little bit more sweet, but it looks like the, uh, the mortar that was used to make the, the different buildings and the pyramids and other things that were there in, in Egypt. And they would remember that. Listen, here's what God God was saying even to the Jews then, I want you to remember this. Every single year, the Feast of Unleavened Bread that would run for, from the 14th of Nisan to the 21st of Nisan there for those, those days. And Jews today do it even an eighth day to make sure that Jews worldwide can observe at the same time, see. And so then they would start there on the 14th of Nisan, but at that, that afternoon, the Passover lamb would be, would be killed and they would eat the Passover lamb and they would do this together. That's what Jesus was observing with his disciples. He wanted a large upper room where they could gather together. And, and so he sent out Peter and John, according to Mark's gospel and, and, or Luke's gospel, one of those two. And, and they were to go out and find a man that would lead them. And, and they would lead them to the upper room. We had the privilege while we were there in Israel to go to what they believed to be the upper room. It was quite a moment. 
If indeed that was where they were, it, was a lar- it, is, a large, it is a large upper room, ornate and beautiful. And, and so they were there in this home and there they would sit basically like this in a U shape, you know, a small table, maybe about six inches or so off the ground. And it would be in a U shape. And the individual that was leading the father that would explain the Passover, you follow me right here, the one that was responsible to either answer questions or to lead them through the observance of the four cups and to break the unleavened bread. He was to explain the Passover. He would sit at a the prominent place. And watch this now, he would recline and they all would recline. So when you see pictures of the Lord's Supper and people are sitting at the table like this and it's American style gathering, Rock, Norman Rockwell style looking thing, that's not it. Okay. Might need to go home, take that down. That's not what it is. <laughs> they lean on their left side as a symbol of freedom. Like I just did a moment ago at the 4th of July celebration. They're on their left side, eating with their right hand. And even to this day, I did not know this till this morning, but when they sit to eat and take the Passover, as they eat the unleavened bread, they are to lean on their left side. Sitting at tables like you and I do today. They don't commemorate all that, but they are to lean on their left side, symbolizing we're a free people. We're a free people. So here they are, Jesus and his disciples on on their left side, and they are commemorating the Passover, all those elements, remembering what God did to bring them out of Egypt. But listen, there was a greater deliverance that was about to happen right there. There was a greater bondage than the bondage of any foreign power that could ever rule any people. And it's the bondage of sin and the bondage of our guilt and our shame and, and our past. How can we be cleansed from these things? How can I be free? And Jesus took that cup and he observed the first cup. I've got it in my notes. I'm not going to take the time to go through all the cups. But there are four cups that he observed with his disciples. If you read Luke's account, you see that there are two cups at least that are mentioned there. And so anyways, that's what's going on. We observe the Lord's Supper and we only do one cup and we only do one time of bread. We just reduced it to, to just that, that element. Probably what we observe is the third cup. The third cup is the cup of redemption. <laughs> this all ties together in an amazing way. The cup of redemption. So anyways, they observed the first cup. They broke bread and, and shared it among themselves. They shared the second cup and passed it around among themselves and broke bread and, and talked among themselves. It's probably, I'm going to speculate right here and others do as well, they, they speculate and I would agree that most likely it was between the second and the third cup that Jesus has the discussion that is described for us here in Matthew 21 where he reveals, one of you will betray me. Probably Judas left before the third cup. Between this second and third cup, he says, one of you shall betray me. And did you notice this, dear folks, that every one of them said, is it I? Is it I? And as I study that out again, what it basically has this idea of is this. It's not me, is it? I won't do this, will I? Surely it's not me. You know, none of them said, I know who it is. It wasn't like they were sitting at the the table here and all eyes went to Judas. No, none of them did. None of them did. None of them did. But I just just wonder. I just wonder what, when Jesus said, one of you shall betray me, 
At this point, now the reason I had us go back and read the first part of Matthew 26 is because at this point, by this point, Judas had already agreed. He'd already agreed with those chief priests to betray him. Jesus says, I know one of you shall betray me. It's one of those moments when as a child, you know you're in trouble. It's one of those moments when you know you're the one and your heart sinks. But he didn't go ahead and say who it was. So you think, okay, maybe I'm all right. Two people in that room knew who it was. Judas and Jesus. And maybe, you, maybe you'd think this, if you were Judas, he's on to me. He's on to me. He knows who I really am. He already knows what I've done. Hey, can I say to you this morning, you're gathered here and I want to say something to you in, in love from, from God's word. He's on to you. Right. He knows who you really are. He knows what you've done. He knows what you're going to do. And yet he still loves you, dear friend. He loved Judas. I mean, he washed his feet. John chapter 13. If the chronology that I followed is right, then it would have been at least he would wash his feet knowing full well he was about to betray him. What love. What love. All these things are happening as it is written. We're going to see in the Gospel of Matthew many times when the Bible says, as it is written, as it is written, as it is written. You know why? Because it wasn't man overpowering Jesus. It was just going right along with what the Word of God prophesied. Is it I? Is it I? It's not me, is it? And finally, Judas says, he had to go along. Is it I, Lord? And Jesus says, thou hast said. He and the priests had agreed that they would not try anything during the Passover because it was caused such an uproar of the multitude of people that were there. But at that instant, Judas knew. John tells us more about this scene. At that moment, Judas knew that he knew that Jesus knew. And at that point, he left. John says the rest of us thought he was going to go do an assignment that Jesus sent him to do. Maybe make further preparations for the continued feast of the, of the unleavened bread. Something like that. They, they, they had no idea. But God knew. And Judas left. And then Jesus took that third cup and he took the bread rather first that we're, that's where we are actually as Matthew picks up the story. He takes the bread and he takes the bread, watch this now, and he breaks it. He thanks God for it and he gives it to them and he says, take, eat, this is my body. Now dear friend, listen to me real close right here. That was not his literal body. And at this hour, contrary to what Catholicism teaches and, and so forth, it does not become his body. You say, how can you? Well, he said, this is my body. His body was right there. The bread symbolized his body. It was a picture. I, I have a, a picture here on the, on the track. I didn't think to bring another one. There's a picture of my family. This is my family. This is my family. This is my wife. She spoke at a ladies meeting yesterday and, and was flying out of uh, New York City last night, but the pl flight got canceled, so she's there. 
This is my wife. This is my oldest son who's in Kenya. This is my son, Trevor, who's a senior. This is my son, Trenton. <laughs> he probably needed that. <laughs> he needs it again, right? I'm just kidding. This is my son. This is not my son. This is just a picture. That's what Jesus is doing is he takes that bread. It's just a picture. It did not enter their body and become his, his body. His, the, the cup as he's about to inaugurate and take, wait a minute, we're going somewhere right, right here with this as well. He's going to take that, that, that grape juice, that, that fruit of the vine, and he's going to say, this is my blood. But it was not his literal blood. At this point in time, his blood was still in his body, but he's about to be crucified. And listen to this, the life of the flesh is in the blood. When a person dies, it's blood related. Sometimes because they bleed out, sometimes because their blood becomes poison, sometimes uh, for other reasons, maybe other things that I don't really need to necessarily go into. I think you understand that God said in his word, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And if the blood leaves the body, the person dies. And Jesus hung there on that cross of Calvary for your sins and mine. And he bled. And his life left his body because he gave up the ghost and said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. Amen. What was he talking about right there? What's finished? The work of redemption. The price for you to go free. Not from the bondage of Rome, not from the bondage of Egypt, but from the bondage of sin and the guilt of sin. You can be free from what makes you feel guilty through the blood of Jesus Christ. A new covenant, a new testament. The Old Testament was not perfect in the sense that it was external and they worked through the priesthood who them themselves were not perfect. And then it also was this, that not everybody had the same access. Not everybody could come into the holy place except the, the priest and he could only do it once a year. But watch this, when Jesus died on that cross, the veil of the temple rent was rent. It was torn from the top to the bottom, not from the the bottom to the top like we could gain access to God. But he opened up the way for you and I to go in, dear friend. The new covenant. Under the old covenant, Moses took the blood of the animals and he sprinkled it on the people because you can't have a covenant where there's not the death of one animal or blood being shed. And here it is our Savior whose blood was shed that we might be under his blood, identified as his people, and we get to go free. Amen. How dare we recline and take any of that lightly when the blood of the sinless one, the Lamb of God, was shed for you and for me. And why should we sit here in anxiety wondering, has he forgiven me or not? Will he forgive me? Oh, dear friend. Through his shed blood, you can be forgiven. 
This is my blood, Jesus said, of the New Testament, which is shed for many, which the idea there is not like he did it for just a few. As I studied that out, you say, preacher, you've done a lot of study. I've tried to. There's a lot to consider here. When it's shed for many, it's saying this. It's not just shed for one. It's shed for all. All mankind. The Bible says he tasted death for every man. That means he tasted death for you. For the remission of sin. Released. Pardoned. Imagine you're standing there before the judge and he says, somebody's already paid your fine. You can go free. Amen, Amen right there? Say so you got a $5,000 credit card due. Creditors are calling you because you've got no money. You write the credit card company and you say, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you could write a hundred letters like that. You could be very sincere. I really mean it. I didn't mean to buy all that at one time. Please. Forgive me, but until payment is made, it's still on your account. But what if someone who had more than enough and was willing came and paid your account off and you could go free? That is what remission is. Released from the debt, released from the guilt, released from the shame, cleansed, and consecrated to have a brand new life. It's his death that gives us new life. A lady lay dying in her bed and the priest came and said, I'm here to forgive you of your sin. She said, sir, May I see your hands? My hands? Yes, your hands. He held out his hands and she said, I'm sorry, sir. You're not qualified to forgive me of my sin because the one who forgave me of my sin has nail prints in his hands. He's the only one who can forgive you. And thank God today, he will. Father, thank you this morning. Quite a joy to get to preach about this. Think about that old rugged cross and where you suffered in our place. I want to thank you for the freedom. I want to thank you for the freedom from sin. I want to thank you for the freedom of guilt. Surely is, truly is when grace becomes amazing. Lord, there'd be believers here that are struggling with sin and you don't want them to live in, even under the dominion of sin. Sin doesn't have to have power over them, but they must trust you. God, I know there'd be some here today that do not know you as, your, as their savior. I pray earnestly that you might speak to them even now. 
Show them the fact of their sin, their waywardness, their wrong before you, the guilt that they yet stand in. Lord, as I understand your word, just because our Savior died on the cross does not automatically make everyone right with you. There must be the reception, the receiving of that grace, that gift. And it can only be by faith. Help those that need today to respond, to respond, I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.